0: Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. We're gonna begin a series on prayer uh, that'll eventually take us through um, the story of the you know the great prayer, our father. Um, that Jesus taught his disciples uh, that we see in the book of Matthew chapter 6 but before we get into that i want to tackle some difficult questions around prayer but i want to start that with a story uh, It was one night uh, in my uh, mid 20s i was pastoring youth uh, in Ottawa at the time i was woken up in the middle of the night um, somewhere around 1:30 a.m. with this extreme sense of a need to pray Uh, Not knowing exactly what, but your mind's eye kind of when you're in a space like that takes you uh, through geography and my mind's eye took me to Cairo, Egypt, uh, where I'd been on a missions trip a number of years before. Uh, Easy to picture the landscape, easy to picture the neighbourhoods, the pyramids and all of that. And uh, in those moments of prayer, my mind went straight to a place in Cairo called uh, the City of the Dead. Uh, which is an amazing uh, place. Um, Basically tombs that have been made over hundreds of years, bodies put in them, and uh, as poor people uh, came to struggle with places to live and different things happened geopolitically, essentially people came in, uh, moved the remains out, moved themselves in, painted the walls, and are living people, living families, uh, living in tombs in a part of Egypt. Uh, It's a poor neighborhood, um, but they painted the walls, knocked in a few windows. There's electricity and good parts of it now and plumbing, but it was once all tombs. And uh, I didn't really know what to pray as my mind was picturing that place. I'd driven through it and walked through it. Um, but as I began to pray, I so simply began to cry out to the Lord that his light would be shone in that place, that it would penetrate the darkness in the city of the dead, and that eyes that were blinded uh, to the love and to the glory of Jesus would be opened. Um, a number of days later, uh, you know, it's one of those experiences you just pray and then you're like, okay, I guess I'll go back to sleep now when it feels like it sort of resolved itself. Um, so a number of days later, I received a letter, it's probably maybe a month letter or something from the man who'd actually led my trip to Egypt. And during the time when I'd been praying, he would, I was actually in Egypt and uh, he was writing to report a, an amazing breakthrough in evangelism that they'd experienced doing evangelism in the City of the Dead. And what they'd done is they'd been going door to door, connecting with families early in the morning as they open the doors, uh, as people are coming out of their homes. It's a time when the secret police aren't around very much because they work late at nights. It's a time when you can risk doing something evangelistic a little bit more. And anyway, so they went and uh, were connecting with people in that city, and they came across a man who was well-known in the neighborhood. He was a blind man. (laughs) struck up a friendship with him, were invited into his home. I think his wife had invited him in or something like that. And they felt led to pray for him and to pray for healing. And as they prayed for him, um, uh, they felt like they were you know, struggling. Spiritual warfare was happening. But ultimately, as they pressed on in prayer, the man was ultimately healed. Uh, he was opened his eyes for the first time in his life. He was able to see miraculously amazing story, and uh, evangelism went a little bit better from that point on. Uh, so just this amazing story. And when I looked at the letter, I looked at the date that he had said it happened, and I looked at the time in the morning, and I played with the, you know, the time zone to figure when it was, and it was exactly at the same moment that this guy uh, was healed, that I was wakened in the night uh, to pray for the miracle. So it was really amazing to be part of that story. Um, It was one of those moments in prayer when I was emotionally present, uh, when I felt like I was praying in the Spirit of God, felt like I was praying absolutely in the will of God, and then to get to see, you know, sometime later that what I prayed for, without knowing exactly what I was praying for, actually happened, something real happened in the world as the result of prayer. You know, so an amazing story, but uh, 99% of the time, that is not how my prayer life goes. So when I'm about to preach and teach on prayer and to teach about uh, what it is to be people who are struggling with prayer and struggling with honest questions, I have just told you the absolute worst story I could tell you. (laughs) Because we tend to idolize prayer, idealize prayer, and to put it up there as something that is Uh, an an amazing experience like what I had, uh, praying for that man in Cairo, but reality is that most of the time, we just wrestle, we just struggle. I don't know very many people who just slip into a place of prayer and find it easy, and find that they have no questions, and find that there's no battle, and find that there's no challenge there. Um, so, we do want prayer to be emotionally engaging, want to be dynamic, to be powerful, connected to God's will. And I really believe it's possible for us to grow in that direction and for prayer to be more and more like that throughout our lives. But it can be kind of damaging if your only um, North Star for prayer is crazy stories like the one I've just told you. That story for prayer, of prayer for me is like something that I've at times just tried to get back to and wanted to see happen again and again. And the reality is, is it just doesn't happen like that. So we just want to take uh, some time to wrestle with some of the honest questions around the things that actually demotivate us about prayer. We want to wrestle with some of the things that actually uh, make it hard for us to pray or make us not want to pray or make us uh, scared of prayer in some cases. Um, It can be a real challenge for us. Uh, I mean, just some of the big questions are, uh, one, if God already knows everything. Why do I need to pray in the first place? I don't know, if, if you prayed for any amount of time, that question has to have gone through your head. like. God knows all of this anyway. Like, what am I even doing here? Um, if I pray for what I want, but I pray that prayer, how many of how many you done that? Pray that prayer, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. So you're praying for somebody to get healed or something like that, and all of a sudden you're praying, uh, yeah, but I'm not sure this is going to work out, so I'm going to pray that, not my will, but yours be done prayer. to sort of hedge our bets, right? Uh, what What is the effect of that? What does that mean? That's something I wrestle with. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Is that a cop-out? Is that faithless, or what is that? Uh, what if God seems to be saying No. We're just not answering. Like sometimes we just pray and the heavens are brass, like the heavens are closed it seems like. Either we're hearing God say no, or we think we're hearing God say no, or we don't hear anything at all. We don't have any sense that it's connecting at all. It can be a discouraging reality to be throwing words up and not knowing if they're landing, not knowing if they're hitting anything. And just another simple question, and there's tons more questions we could be talking about, but why is it so hard to focus in prayer? Like, why is it just hard to do it? Why is it hard to take a given amount of time and say, I'm going to pray during this time period and end at the end of that time period and find yourself still praying? (laughs) For me, that's a challenge and that's a struggle. So that's really what we want to just chat about a little bit today. Um, uh, before we sort of get into the specific questions, because I think there's something important to unpack in all of those, and again, there's loads more questions, I want to give us some principles that are just going to guide us as we go through them. Uh, the first principle that I want us to understand is um, prayer is about relationship with a personal God. What we need to know about prayer and what we need to know about our connection with prayer can be seen uh, through the scriptures uh, in the life of uh, the people who have prayed before us and in the life of Jesus. And we know from all of that that God is a relational God, that he wants to connect with us, that he wants to have uh, that kind of interaction with us, that prayer is ultimately Uh, about relationship. Uh, The second thing we wanna recognize is that it's uh, not just about relationship and relating just for relationship's sake, that it's actually about a partnership, that it has something to do with how God's will unfolds in the earth, that there's something actually real that happens. And we're gonna talk about that and what that means a little bit later. And then the other thing that I think is just so important for us is the ability to pray is not something that you either have or you don't have. I'm just not good at prayer. I, I it just doesn't work for me. I've just struggled with it my whole life. It's so hard. Uh and man that person uh, Linda there, she prays all the time. She's got an amazing prayer life. I'm just I'm just no I'm just no Linda. I'm no intercessor. And we look at prayer kind of that way and say, yeah, that's, what, that's for those people, but not necessarily for me. And what I want to say is that the ability to pray is not something you have or don't have. It's about something you learn. And we're going to see that when we go later on in the series, uh, looking at the story of Jesus giving the disciples, this, the, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, giving the disciples this amazing thing, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, so he's teaching them how to pray. So these are key things uh, for us. Let's just tackle the first question for a minute. If God already knows anything, everything, why do I need to pray? Um, when you when you look at the Lord's Prayer, when you look at Matthew 6, uh, there's a little section on comparing the way sort of the rabbis would pray and pagans pray and the way he wants us to pray. And he ends that just before he teaches us the Lord's Prayer with this phrase, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So that question, if God already knows everything. Why do I need to pray? The reason for prayer isn't information transfer. The reason for prayer isn't to inform God about things. And Jesus is being really clear. Hey, God already knows everything that you need. He does know everything that's going on. He is sovereign. He is omniscient. He is aware but he's still teaching us to pray. So there are reasons to pray that go beyond information transfer. Uh, I think we're like I think sometimes we pray and we think we're keeping God in the loop. Uh, <laughs> I think God's already in the loop. He is the loop. So uh, it's not about that. But there are reasons to pray. He wants relation, not information. And uh, that just points us to just an obvious, obvious illustration. And Jesus starts with this when he prays uh, the the great prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. He's He says, um, our Father. He tells us to pray, our Father. So he's talking about this parent-child relationship. And I think the same thing is true uh, for us, that we need to look at this relationship that we have with God. Uh, And if we're asking the question, like, do we need to pray because he already knows, there, there are times when I, as a dad, you know, I intentionally leave some mystery for my kids. I intentionally don't inform them about everything that's going on, even though I know what's going on because I want them to come and bug me about it. (laughs) I want them to come and ask. I want them to come and do uh, some relationship with me. I want them to come and connect. I want the conversation. In fact, uh, Jack and Toby, I I don't know if you're listening, boys, but there are times when I'll let you go on for a long time telling you, letting you tell me about things that I already know that happened in your day from another source. Uh, Because, I love to hear the sound of your voice. I love to hear what you're saying. I love that you are there in the room with me, uh, relating to me, talking to me, uh, hanging out with me. That relationship itself, that time of being in one another's presence has value in itself. It is something that is enjoyed by the Father. So that's just an important idea for you, I think, is to realize one of the reasons that God calls us to pray is simply because he enjoys it, simply because he enjoys you. It's an extravagance uh, that, that he gets to experience, that he gets to love, that he gets to enjoy. Uh, even if you don't need to tell him stuff, he's enjoying hearing it from you simply because he loves being around this person that he's created, this person that he's made. Um, so that's, a, that's kind of a key piece for us. But I think the, the reality is, is that the question of does God know it already or not isn't actually the question that we're asking. I think if we're honest, the question that we're actually asking is, if God already controls everything, does my prayer change anything? If God is in charge, does my prayer make a difference? Does it... Move heaven? Does it move God's heart? Does it uh, adjust His plan or His trajectory for the world at all? Like, what is the point of prayer? Does it change God? Uh, of course, there's a dark side to that question that we want to get out of the way right, right off the bat. Um, we <laughs> really would like to be God ourselves. We would really like our prayers to be heavily influential in the life of God. We really want Him to do the stuff that we want Him to do. We wouldn't mind giving Him orders from time to time, right? So there's the dark side of that question question, uh, does my prayer change anything? Of course, we want it to, and very often for selfish reasons, and we just have to confess that. But most of the time, that's not really the question that people are asking. Most often, uh, people are asking that question thinking, God, just do you love me? Do you hear me? Do you care about what's going on in my life? Uh, and wanting to experience a sense of uh, God's closeness and nearness and His love and and know that we have some sort of impact on Him. and. Uh, Uh, That's something we wrestle with, right? We wrestle with, hey, God is sovereign. God is holy. God is immutable, unchangeable. He can't be uh, made into something different. But at the same time, uh, we really do have a longing to... Uh, have an impact on him? Uh, and sometimes in wrestling with that question, uh, we uh, you know, sort of defer to this famous old quote by C.S. Lewis, and it was actually quoted elsewhere as well, but C.S. Lewis is really one who popularized the phrase saying, Prayer does not change God, it changes me. Now, C.S. Lewis, when he wrote that, he was actually uh, speaking from a really humble, beautiful place. If you look at that quote in context, he's basically saying, I'm just desperate to pray. I just I just have to be in the presence of God. My life is so messed up. I I, I have to pray. So coming into God's presence just changes the uh, posture that I have. It, it reduces my fear. It reduces my anxiety. It lets me come into your presence, and, and just being there changes me. So C.S. Lewis had a really good heart, I think, when he was saying that. But theologically, I think it is possible possible to look at prayer as something that absolutely does change me. In fact, I think that's one of the purposes for prayers. It's not only meant to be enjoyed, but it's meant to be transformative. God wants to encounter us in a way that changes us. But I think we can also say that there is a way in which, theologically speaking, uh, we can uh, move the heart of God, and the way we we see that, and the way we understand that is is simply by plain reading of the text, plain reading of the stories. If you look at the text in the Bible, you see this happening all the time. You see Abraham and Lot. Uh, when Abraham uh, goes into Sodom, and God is like ready to destroy the city, and, and Abraham is like, God, like please don't destroy the city if there's only 50 righteous, if there's only 45 righteous, if there's only 35 righteous, if there's only 10 righteous, Lord, will you uh, not destroy the city? And God responds, uh, for at least for a time, to that uh, crying out of Abraham. We see in the story of Moses and Aaron when there's a plague coming through the Israelite camp. uh, God says to um, go to, God says to or sorry, Moses says to Aaron, it says, hey, take the censer with the incense. The censer is the thing that incenses in and it's burning and you would swing it. And he goes out into the middle of the camp and wherever Aaron swung the censer and brought that smoke that was there to symbolize the presence of the Lord, wherever that censer went, the plague from God, and clearly a plague of judgment from God, stopped. And it often, it says in that text, God relented. Some texts say God repented. God repented of wanting to destroy the Israelites. That sounds like God changing his heart in response to the acts of humans. Uh, We look at Hezekiah. God is saying, Hezekiah, we're going to take you out now. It's time you're done. And Hezekiah says, Lord, just give me a few more years. And and in that encounter with Hezekiah, uh, God gives Hezekiah a few more years. We have Jesus and Mary. Uh, When Jesus comes to uh, this wedding, Mary says, like, dude, they're running out of wine. Son, will you please uh, fix the situation? He says, no, mom, it's not my time. It's not my time. I'm not ready to do this. And his mom sort of sidesteps, and we talked about this last week, and says, no, 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 just, hey, servants, whatever Jesus tells you, do that. And Jesus ultimately does the miracle ahead of the time that he had planned for himself. And so we see this again and again and again and again in the scriptures where it seems like the actions of humans are affecting uh, the direction of God. And so what I want to say, without going into it, um I may be mad something we can go at in the Q&A, but it is possible to see prayer as something that actually affects, in a tangible way, the heart of God, without in any way diminishing his sovereignty. And so that's the concern for us theologically. We want to believe that God is absolutely sovereign, he is absolutely king. But then how is his heart changed by us? How is the immutable, unchangeable God uh, have his heart changed by you and I, little us, uh, so I just want we're going to go into that maybe in the QA. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because it's a bit to unpack, but it is possible to understand it that way that a sovereign God can be impacted by us. Where we want to leave all of that is that one prayer is a relationship that is designed to transform you, it's a relationship that's designed to make you new, it's designed to make you different, it's designed to change you on the inside, but you can also be confident. That God authentically cares about you, and that he hears you when you pray. Prayer matters. Prayer matters. It changes you, and it affects God. Um, But we can unpack that in the Q&A if you're really wrestling with the theology of it. The next question that I think is this huge wrestle for us is, uh, and this doesn't seem huge, but I've had so many people ask me about this over the years. There's so many people comment on it. Jack and I spent a whole bunch of time talking about it in the car on the way up to NBC uh, last week. Um, What's happening when I'm wanting to pray this? Uh, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done prayer that gets tacked into most of the prayers we pray when we're praying for something. And as pastor, I've uh, been in the hospital a number of times uh, visiting people who are sick, and maybe it's at church after church on a Sunday, or it's um, on a phone call or a Zoom call now, but people who are in, in dire circumstances who are having trouble with their physical health or uh, other situations in their lives. Maybe it's a struggle with debt. Maybe it's a struggle with addiction, whatever it is, and uh, very often I'll be asked, um, will you pray for me? Will you pray that the Lord heals me? Will you pray that the Lord uh, does a miracle and changes these circumstances? And so when I'm asked to, to pray those prayers, and when we're asked to prayer, pray prayers that are actually, hopefully, going to result in a change that we can measure or see, Uh, If you're like me, that gets scary. It's much, much more easy to pray, oh, Lord, change their heart, or oh, Lord, uh, make a difference in this, or make a difference in that, and those sort of subtle, intangible things. But when somebody prays for something practical to happen, uh, that's when it gets scared. There's a number of different things that can go on in your heart, or a number of different wrestles that can happen in your heart around this question. Uh, One, we sometimes just pray that prayer, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, uh, to protect ourselves from a sense of failure. Right to to kind of cover our butts, like I don't want it to be perceived here that my prayer didn't work, <laughs> so I'm gonna put it on God and not on me. Right. So right off that that's actually a really bad reason to pray that prayer. <laughs> right. Because we don't. It's not about our butts. It's not about me. It's not about my uh, prayer life. It's not about my pride. It's not about my image. It's not about my reputation as a pastor. Uh, I. Think I need to be able to pray in a sense and without that motive of self-glorification, right? So if that is the reason for praying that not my will, not yours be done, then, then we, you don't want to pray it that way. But there are good ways and good reasons that you would want to pray that. And I pray that um, prayer, not my will, but yours be done, uh, almost all the time when I'm praying for healing. And, and that comes for from uh, a care for the person I'm praying for. Um, very often um, I'm concerned that I will raise the expectations of the person that I'm praying for to the point where they will be angry and disappointed at God because what I prayed for didn't happen. The bottom line is is that prayer is a mystery, Uh, especially especially healing prayer. Uh, I wish very much that I could say every time I prayed with boldness and with confidence that somebody would be healed that they would actually be healed uh, but the real and I have seen some amazing things I have literally seen blind eyes opened uh, not just across the world in Cairo Egypt I've seen it with my own eyes I've seen amazing things but there have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times where I've prayed for people to live and they've died. I've prayed for a wound to be healed and it's continued uh, to hurt them. I prayed for a disease to stop, and that disease has continued to run through their lives. Um, The reality is, is that behind the scenes, behind the curtain, there is a mystery to what is happening. There is a mystery of the will of God that I don't understand. There's a mystery of spiritual uh, realities that I don't understand. There's a, a mystery of the way the will of people and the faith of people works in the background that I don't understand, and that is all incredibly complex, and I don't know the answer to it. So I can't pray for you and give you a formula that will say, I've prayed this, therefore this will happen. Because there's a, there's a really good chance that will result in hurt and disappointment with God. So we just come uh, as mature people before the throne of God and say, hey, we're praying into a mystery here. And I think that a compassionate reason for sort of praying that prayer is, is good. But what, what I would always encourage you to do this, just a side note, when you're praying for a friend who's struggling with something like that, you don't just have to weave that into your prayer. You could just have a conversation with them and say, hey, we're gonna pray uh, for healing. We're gonna pray for a miracle. We're gonna pray for something great to happen. Uh, but uh, we don't know. So we put this in the hands of a sovereign God and we say that we love him, we trust him, and we're gonna pray anyway. Uh, there's another reason that we don't pray, uh, this, uh, sometimes is sometimes we just don't want to be demanding. We don't want to sound arrogant. Um, and I just want to say that if you're thinking and worried about sounding arrogant, you're probably not arrogant. <laughs> if you're worried about sounding demanding, you're probably not being demanding and entitled. So you just know that your heart is, uh, is probably okay on that. And the other one that's actually the, the sort of concerning one is um, I think often we just fear that we don't want to be faithless. There's something that we have uh, about prayer, and some, some of it comes from uh, some of the stuff I have from my charismatic background, some of my Pentecostal background, uh, some uh, maybe time spent in a little bit of hyper-faith kind of context. And that's a fear that if I don't pray with perfect faith, or if I pray... Uh, with any doubt in my heart, that I'm somehow going to uh, scare God away, <laughs> or uh, make him fall off his throne, or make him not like my prayer, or not like my heart, or my attitude, uh, so that he actually won't do that thing I wanted him to do. So if if I happen to pray, hey, Lord, I really want this person to be healed, but not my will, but yours be done, there in some uh, context, there can be this fear that if I've prayed that, then I'm going to open up a way that that thing that I didn't want to happen will actually happen. Uh, So we've got this uh, image of God as almost sometimes somebody who is uh, kind of petulant or kind of picky or kind of um, a little bit easy to peeve. And it's just, I just don't think he's like that. I think he is kind and I think he is generous and I think he loves us and if we are showing a little bit of doubt uh, in our hearts or or a little bit of struggle in our hearts or if we're um, coming to him and saying, hey, not my will but yours be done, I, I can't see how that doesn't actually honor him. Like, When do you not want the will of God done? When do you not want him to have his way? That can't be a bad prayer. Lord, let your will be done. That just can't be a bad prayer. Uh, if it's done with faith and done with trust and done knowing that, uh, that he is a good and generous God, to put ourselves in his hands, uh, to lay our lives down and say, hey, uh, this is what I want, but I totally trust you. I trust your will, God. I think he's just ultimately honored by that and blessed by that, because I think he, he wants us to trust him in that way. Um, the image that's uh, important to me often as I pray, and you'll if, if I prayed for you uh, in the past uh, or for something difficult like this, you'll have often heard me pray, you know, Lord, we're just coming to you uh, like kids at Christmas. We're audacious enough to ask you for the thing that we want, but we really trust you. The result, and the image that's in my mind as I as I pray that is usually not of a little child sitting on Santa's knee, but me, (laughs) three hundred pounds of me sitting on Santa's knee. That's the image I have when I pray that, because I think that's really what God wants us to be. He wants us to be in a relationship with the Father where uh, we're we're. Aware that there's some mystery. We're aware that he might say no. We're aware that he knows things that we don't know. We can see behind the fake beard of the Santa Claus mask. We know that he's not like fake Santa Claus. We know he's real almighty God. And we could trust him. And he doesn't want us to be just like little tiny children. He wants our faith to come to him like mature children. He wants us to be mature children sitting on his lap. Again, trusting that he is that, that he is authority, that he is in control, that he is large and in charge. But that we have a significant voice with him. And then we relate to him in a way that is much more natural and healthy and relational than, uh, than what uh, we could uh, do in imagining that he's sort of a, uh, an angry, petulant, easy-to-disturb, cranky God. Uh, he's good and kind and loves us kind of related to this question is, uh, in those moments when we've prayed and we don't know what's happening, uh, what if God just seems to be saying no or just not answering at all? And very often that's our reality is that it just seems silent. Uh, The first thing I wanna sort of say about that is uh, that if we're honest, we, we don't actually know if he's saying no, most of the time. We don't know that it's no. We we just don't have the knowledge. We just don't necessarily have the access to it to understand what he's working when he's working his will in the world. We don't have the uh, the sight. We don't have the vision. So sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's not yet. And sometimes it's yes. And we don't see it happening in the way that we wish we saw it happening. So, or we haven't asked the right questions. So, well, he knows everything. He sees all the connections, all the causes that produces all the effects. He sees the spiritual dynamics behind the scene and all of it, he knows what's going on. Um, But one thing we can really be confident in all of that is that of what is unknown, of what is unseen, of what we don't know, he is 100% capable of communicating that. He is 100% capable of breaking through our pride, breaking through our spiritual deafness. Uh, we have sc- stories in the scripture of him sending prophets, talking through donkeys, talking through burning bushes. Like God is a 100% capable communicator. And so that we can really trust that if he is speaking something, or if he knows that there's something that we need to know, he's able to get that message through to us. Uh, When we look at the church and where we're at as a community, right? We are, as I said earlier, just crying out like, Lord, would you provide a space for us? Would you provide a facility for us? So when the snow flies, we'll have somewhere to meet. And we're not hearing anything really clear back from him. We're not getting visions. We're not hearing uh, prophetic words. Uh, I haven't seen a vision in my head of a map with an X on it that says, this marks the spot. I would love for God to do that for me. I I think that would be fantastic. In fact, you guys can all pray that with me. Like, show me the Google map of where the church is going to be. Like, I think that would be fantastic. Uh, But the reality is, is that he hasn't done that for us. But I can be 100% confident that if he wanted to, he could. Because one, my heart is open to it. Your hearts are open to it. So I have to assume that the good and generous God isn't giving that information because it is the best and most generous thing for us. It is the good thing for us not to know that right now. And that he has a plan for us. So uh, that's just the first thing, Um, you know, we uh, don't even know if it's really no, and we can trust Him even if it is. But there's, I think, something a little bit more that He does with us through the silence. Um, The first thing is that relationship thing. Remember, we're gonna be guided by that principle. Um, Sometimes the silence can be just Him wanting to draw us further into prayer. Sometimes it can be Him just calling us in deeper, calling us to hear more, calling us to listen, calling us into his presence. So that prayer piece is important. Uh, But the other thing is, I think very, very often uh, he is calling us into the scriptures. I think very, very often we pray things where we want a specific answer from God uh, about what to do with this or what to do with that, and the answer Uh, for us has already been spoken and is already in the written word of God. Um, so let me give you an example, uh, There, say you found some money, say you found a little bit of uh, cash, maybe you've gotten an inheritance or maybe you had an unusually large tax return or something like that. This is a question that I've been asked by people before. Uh, so I'm praying and uh, I really want to know what to do with it and I've been asking God, should I give this money to the church or should I uh, give this money to the poor or should I buy a hot tub, <laughs> right? Should, am I am I allowed to spend this money on myself? Am I allowed to spend this money to bless me, to bless my family? And people will sometimes come to me with this question. I don't mean to make light of, of that at all, because this is a, a genuine wrestle. But sometimes when those questions are posed, you know, God maybe has already answered that. Like if you look to the scriptures to answer that question, it's fairly likely that in reading the scriptures, you're going to see the Lord say, be generous with that to somebody else. Give that away to somebody else. Give that to the church. Give that to somebody who is in need. You don't necessarily need to take that found money and spend it on something that pleases you, because we're called to be selfless people. So sometimes the questions that we're asking God are already answered for us. Uh, in the character that we are supposed to take on by being more like Christ, of course, in the scriptures. So two things. uh, When we don't know, when we are wrestling with the silence, uh, one, God may be calling us just deeper into relationship with him, and most certainly he is calling us to the scripture. Most certainly he's calling us to the word of God to dig deeper into it, to understand it better. So our solution uh, for not having answers about our stuff is to always look for answers about who he is our solution for not having answers about things, about direction, is always to find out, is there an answer that's really about his glory, about his personhood, about his character, about finding uh, Jesus? So I think that's sort of the answer uh, to that question. And just the last question, this one would be a little bit lighter, a little more fun, Um, but uh, what do I do if I just can't concentrate long enough to pray? What if I do if if this is just a struggle for me to be able to pray? Right? I think uh, there's a few different things for us to consider in this. One, I think uh, we need to recognize the aspect of personality uh, that various ones of us will relate to other humans in various different ways. And we should be a little bit okay with that. There will be some people who would maybe say, uh, you know what, I would love to be uh, in the car on a long car ride with someone I love, and I would just ask them questions. We would just talk and talk and talk and talk, and it would be just fantastic to have a conversation and range through all of our history and all of our stories and talk about every aspect of church life and, and to go and be at that space. And some of you would have a prayer life that reflects that level of focus and that level of attention. And there would be some of you who would be maybe a little bit more introverted, who could spend time in the presence of God and be in a prayerful space and be in a holy space and have less conversation happening. So you don't judge the quality of your prayer by the uh, number of words that you're able to speak. Uh, You judge the quality of your prayer by your awareness of the presence of God in the conversation at whatever pace it's taking so be careful not to judge yourself and judge your prayer life by the prayer life of an extrovert or if you're trying to learn silence try not to judge the quality of your prayer life by the prayer life of of an introvert Uh, try to uh, be the person you are in the presence of God and let him draw you and grow you and become a little bit more like him and learn to speak at at his pace and learn to be uh, who he wants you to be uh, so that's just one little piece, um, and the other thing is, is posture, is really important. There, some of us have an image of prayer, um, where it would be like, like for me at my desk. Sometimes when I really am having a hard time focusing, it's over to my reading chair, and it's on my knees with my, you know, head on the seat and uh, my eyes closed and scrunched up, and trying so very hard to concentrate. And there are times when that works. There are times when going for a drive in the truck is uh, what's better for me, seeing the fields go by. And, and that's a space when I can have conversation with God. But very often, um, finding uh, a little bit of change, a little bit of disruption, a little bit of something to help you actually remember you're praying is, is huge for you. Uh, for me, I often, like I very, very often will begin to pray and very quickly even forget that I'm praying. Like I will very quickly forget what I'm actually doing there. And so your pastor isn't that spiritual, isn't that holy. I have uh, lots of wrestles and lots of struggles in that, but I'm guessing you do too. So one of the things that I did early on, and it was this was sort of, a, I think I've shared this story with you before, but uh, this was something that we experienced uh, in Toronto where it was all the rage to have prayer staffs. And there were people coming over from the UK with this prayer staff that they made from a tree and it was like they were getting in touch with their Celtic roots and it was sort of creepy, weird, spiritual vibe, didn't really understand it. Does this prayer staff that I'm supposed to take have some sort of power and anointing and authority and it makes me pray better, makes God like me better? I don't know, I don't mean to, again, I don't mean to make too light of that, but that was, I I thought that was kind of kooky and weird. But I got given a prayer staff and what I found, I didn't think it had any supernatural power, but when I found myself standing in the middle of the living room, with my mind thinking about uh, the grocery list. And I came out of that grocery list space and realized I was standing in the middle of my living room holding a stick. I remembered that I was supposed to be praying, right? As a reminder, as a tangible reminder that, uh, that it was helpful. Because other times, like if I'm standing in the living room praying and I have my phone in my hand, the whole time that I've set aside to pray, I could pray for three minutes and then get to the end of a half hour and realize I've read the National Post the whole time, right? Because I can just forget that I'm praying and let my mind go to another place and let it just chase that other thing. So be, uh, be kind to yourself by setting up practical circumstances that remind you of the space of prayer that you're supposed to be in. It can be just uh, really, really helpful to be really practical about that. And the other thing I've started to do with my distractions in prayer is uh, i have a prayer journal here. And many of you have prayer journals and you actually write down all the things that you feel that you're feeling in your heart and all the things that uh, you you feel like the Lord is saying to you. My prayer journal is different. Uh, That's where I set aside all of the things that I'm not supposed to be praying about. (laughs) So my prayer journal reads this. Uh, Streaming equipment, don't forget to order HDMI cable go to the quilt store for Anna's birthday, pick up prescriptions, set a reminder uh, for, uh, I can't even read my handwriting here, and don't forget to water the plant. That's my, that's my prayer journal <laughs> right there, because my mind goes to those things. And I don't actually judge myself for letting my mind go to those sort of funny places. Um, I judge myself if my mind goes to there two or three or four times. And so instead of letting my mind go there, go there two or three or four times, I'll take that thing that I would be, have a tendency to obsessing about, I'll write it down, and I can just set it aside and forget it, and it doesn't come back again. It just allows me to have a little bit more focus in my prayer life. So those are just some simple, simple little uh, tips and tricks. But the main idea that I want us to get uh, from all of this is that uh, prayer is a relationship, and it is something that is learned. And we're going to see that in the next uh, days as we look at uh, the book of Matthew and we look at uh, chapter 6 and look at the Lord's Prayer and see the structure of that prayer and the reason it's in the order, it's in the order and the things that Jesus teaches the disciples to pray in that. It's not just a rote prayer to pray at the beginning of school or whatever, it is uh, a pattern. That can really inform us, and that can really help us. And if you're somebody who struggles with prayer, or something has been this is something that's been a place of failure for you or a difficulty for you, uh, this is just a good time to try again, to take up the mantle, and begin to try to pray and learn to pray a little bit more and so maybe if you want a little bit of a prayer assignment uh, for the week ahead i'd encourage you to do something like just take a timer set a timer on your phone set your phone away from you so it doesn't distract you and just try five minutes i think some of you that will be super easy and, and you could maybe challenge yourself with more but for those of you that have a really hard time focusing in on prayer and getting that time with god i really encourage you to simply maybe pray the lord's prayer we're going to pray it just a few minutes and just see if you can do five and uh, and if you get there, that's great. If you get distracted, uh, that's okay too, but try five the next day. And if every morning that you can or every evening that you can over the next week, you uh, start with five. I think that'll be a good step in terms of growing a little bit in your ability to be intimate and prayerful and connected with God. So I hope some of those thoughts are helpful. Again, those are difficult questions. We'll talk about them a little bit more in the QA in a few moments. Uh, but uh, hopefully, you can see from all of this that God one want, He wants to relate to you. He wants to do relationship with you. He wants you to pray, regardless of whether you think it's working, regardless of whether you think he knows stuff or doesn't know stuff. Whatever wrestlings you have around prayer, just being there delights his heart. He wants to be with you. Uh, Second, it actually does matter. It actually does mean something that the sovereign God who created the whole universe, holds it in the palm of his hands, has in some way set up the universe so that your prayers are actually important and actually an important part of the partnership that you have with him. And again, back to this third idea. Uh, this is just something we're going to learn together and hopefully grow together and do a little bit better. I'm just going to pray real quickly, and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll just go to worship. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, teaching us. We want to be uh, better prayers. We want to know you better in prayer. Uh, we want to be more effective in prayer. And we just want to learn this thing. We just want to grow in it uh, as long as it takes, as hard as it is. We just want to take steps of growth. So would you bless us in this journey, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.